Chapter Six of I Will Repay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Annie Kirkpatrick. I Will Repay by Berenice Orsi. Chapter Six: The Scarlet Pimpernel. It was some few hours later. The lady sat in the drawing room, silent and anxious. Soon after supper, a visitor had called and had been closeted with Belle de Relade in the latter's study for the past two hours. A tall, somewhat lazy-looking figure, he was sitting at a table face to face with the citizen deputy. On a chair beside him lay a heavy caped coat, covered with the dust and the splashings of a long journey, but he himself was attired in clothes that suggested the most fastidious taste, and the most perfect of tailors. He wore with apparent ease the eccentric fashion of the time, the short-waisted coat of many lapels, the double waistcoat and billows of delicate lace. Unlike Deroulade, he was of great height, with fair hair and a somewhat lazy expression in his good-natured blue eyes. And, as he spoke, there was just a soupçon of foreign accent in the pronunciation of the French vowels, a certain drawl of the O's and A's, that would have betrayed the Britisher to an observant ear. The two men had been talking earnestly for some time. The tall Englishman was watching his friend keenly, whilst an amused, pleasant smile lingered round the corners of his firm mouth and jaw. Deroulade, restless and enthusiastic, was pacing to and fro. "'But I don't understand now how you managed to reach Paris, my dear Blakeney,' said Deroulade at last, placing an anxious hand on his friend's shoulder. "'The government has not forgotten, Scarlet Pimpernel.' "'La! I took care of that,' responded Blakeney, with his short, pleasant laugh. "'I sent Tinville my autograph this morning.' "'You are mad, Blakeney.' "'Not altogether, my friend. My faith!' "'Twas on only foolhardiness caused me to grant that devilish prosecutor another sight of my scarlet device. I knew what you maniacs would be after, so I came across in the daydream, just to see if I couldn't get my share of the fun. "'Fun, you call it?' queried the other bitterly. "'Nay, what would you have me call it? A mad, insane, senseless tragedy, with but one issue? The guillotine for you all.' "'Then why did you come?' "'To—what shall I say, my friend?' rejoined Sir Percy Blakeney, with that inimitable drawl of his, to give your dimmed government something else to think about, whilst you are all busy running your heads into a noose. What makes you think we are doing that? Three things, my friend. May I offer you a pinch of snuff? No? Ah, well. And with the graceful gesture of an accomplished dandy, Sir Percy flicked off a grain of dust from his immaculate Mechlin ruffles. Three things, he continued quietly. An imprisoned queen, about to be tried for her life. The temperament of a Frenchman some of them, and the idiocy of mankind generally. These three things make me think that a certain section of hot-headed Republicans with yourself, my dear Deroulade, en tête, are about to attempt the most stupid, senseless, purposeless thing that was ever concocted by the excitable brain of a dimmed Frenchman. Deroulade smiled. Does it not seem amusing to you, Blakeney, that you should sit here and condemn anyone for planning mad, insane, senseless things? La, I'll not sit, I'll stand, rejoined Blakeney with a laugh, as he drew himself up to his full height, and stretched his long, lazy limbs. And now let me tell you, friend, that my league of the Scarlet Pimpernel never attempted the impossible, and to try and drag the Queen out of her clutches of these murderous rascals now is attempting the unattainable. And yet we mean to try. I know it. I guessed it. That is why I came. That is also why I sent a pleasant little note to the Committee of Public Safety, signed with the device they know so well, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Well? Well, the result is obvious. Robespierre, Danton, Tinville, Merlin, and the whole of the dimmed murderous crowd will be busy looking for me, a needle in a haystack. They'll put the abortive attempt down to me, and you may, ma foi, I only suggest that you may escape safely out of France, in the daydream, and with the help of your humble servant. 
but in the meanwhile they'll discover you, and they'll not let you escape a second time. My friend, if a terrier were to lose his temper, he never would run a rat to earth. Now your revolutionary government has lost its temper with me, ever since I slipped through Chauvelin's fingers. They are blind with their own fury, whilst I am perfectly happy and cool as a cucumber. My life has become valuable to me, my friend. There is someone over the water now who weeps when I don't return. No, no, never fear. They'll not get the Scarlet Pimpernel this journey. He laughed a gay, pleasant laugh, and his strong, firm face seemed to soften at the thought of his beautiful wife, over in England, who was waiting anxiously for his safe return. "'And yet you'll not help us to rescue the Queen,' rejoined Deroulade with some bitterness. "'By every means in my power,' replied Blakeney. "'Save the insane. But I will help to get you all out of the dimmed hole when you have failed.' "'We'll not fail,' asserted the other hotly. Sir Percy Blakeney went close up to his friend and placed his long, slender hand, with a touch of almost womanly tenderness, upon the latter's shoulder. "'Will you tell me your plans?' In a moment Deroulade was all fire and enthusiasm. "'There are not many of us in it,' he began, "'although half France will be in sympathy with us. We have plenty of money, of course, and also the necessary disguise for the royal lady. Yes, I, in the meantime, have asked for and obtained the post of Governor of the Conciergerie. I go into my new quarters to-morrow.' In the meantime, I am making arrangements for my mother and and those dependent upon me to quit France immediately. Blakeney had perceived the slight hesitation when Deroulade mentioned those dependent upon him. He looked scrutinizingly at his friend, who continued quickly, I am still very popular among the people. My family can go about unmolested. I must get them out of France, however, in case— In case— Of course, rejoined the other simply. As soon as I am assured that they are safe— my friends and I can prosecute our plans. My friends and I can prosecute our plans. You see, the trial of the Queen has not yet been decided on, but I know that it is in the air. We hope to get her away, disguised in one of the uniforms of the National Guard. As you know, it will be my duty to make the final round every evening in the prison, and to see that everything is safe for the night. Two fellows watch all night in the room next to that occupied by the Queen. Usually they drink and play cards all night long. I want an opportunity to drug their brandy, and thus to render them more loudish and idiotic than usual, then, for a blow on the head that will make them senseless. It should be easy, for I have a strong fist, and after that—well, after that, friend, rejoined Sir Percy earnestly, after that, shall I fill in the details of the picture? The guard twenty-five strong outside the conciergerie. How will you pass them? I, as my governor, followed by one of my guards, to go with her. I have the right to come and go as I please. If faith, so you have. But one of your guards, eh? Wrapped to the eyes in a long mantle to hide the female figure beneath. I have been in Paris but a few hours, and yet already I have realized that there is not one dim citizen within its walls who does not at this moment suspect some other dim citizen of conniving at the Queen's escape. Even the sparrows on the housetops are objects of suspicion. No figure wrapped in a mantle will from this day forth leave Paris unchallenged. "'But you yourself, friend,' suggested Deroulade, "'you think you can quit Paris unrecognized? "'Then why not Queen? "'Because she is a woman and has been a Queen. "'She has nerves, poor soul, "'and weaknesses of body and of mind now. "'Alas for her! "'Alas for France! "'Who wreaks such idle vengeance on so poor an enemy? "'Can you take hold of Marie Antoinette by the shoulders, "'shove her into the bottom of a cart, "'and pile sacks of potatoes on the top of her? "'I did that to the Comtesse de Tournay and her daughter.' as stiff-necked a pair of French aristocrats as ever deserved the guillotine for their insane prejudices. 
but can you do it to marie antoinette she'd rebuke you publicly and betray herself and you in a flash sooner than submit to a loss of dignity but you would leave her to her fate ah there's the trouble friend do you think you need appeal to the sense of chivalry of my league we are still twenty strong and heart and soul in sympathy with your mad schemes the poor poor queen but you are bound to fail and then who will help you all if we too are put out of the way we should succeed if you helped us at one time you used proudly to say the league of the scarlet pimpernel has never failed because it attempted nothing that it could not accomplish but la since you put me on my mettle dim it all i have to think about it and he laughed that funny somewhat inane laugh of his which had deceived the clever men of two countries as to his real personality Deroulade went up to the heavy oak desk which occupied a conspicuous place in the centre of one of the walls he unlocked it and drew forth a bundle of papers will you look through these he asked handing them to sir percy blakeney what are they different schemes i have drawn up in case my original plan should not succeed burn them my friend said blakeney laconically have you not yet learned the lesson of never putting your hand to paper i can't burn these you see i shall not be able to have long conversations with marie antoinette i must give her my suggestions in writing that she may study them and not fail me through lack of knowledge of her part better that than papers in these times my friend these papers if found would send you untried to the guillotine i am careful and at present quite beyond suspicion moreover among the papers is a complete collection of passports suitable for any character the queen and her attendant may be forced to assume it has taken me some months to collect them so as not to arouse suspicion i gradually got them together on one pretense or another now i am ready for any eventuality he suddenly paused a look in his friend's face had given him a swift warning he turned and there in the doorway holding back the heavy portiere stood juliette graceful smiling a little pale this no doubt owing to the flickering light of the unsnuffed candles so young and girlish did she look in her soft white muslin frock that at sight of her the tension in deroulade's face seemed to relax instinctively he had thrown the papers back into the desk but his look had softened from the fire of obstinate energy to that of inexpressible tenderness blakeney was quietly watching the young girl as she stood in the doorway a little bashful and undecided madame de Relade sent me she said hesitatingly she says the hour is getting late and she is very anxious monsieur de Relade, would you come and reassure her in a moment mademoiselle he replied lightly my friend and i have just finished our talk may i have the honour to present him sir percy blakeney a traveller from england blakeney this is mademoiselle juliette de marny my mother's guest End of chapter six